welcome. Before we uh, get into the message, I just wanted to share something with you that during the worship, actually during the first service, worship just was on my heart and just wanted to share a quick word on. And that's uh, the, as you call it, turmoil or uh, events that have been going on in our nation over the last uh, few weeks or months uh, with the uh, with everything that was going on in the Supreme Court nomination and uh, the Justice Kavanaugh being set in as the new Supreme Court justice yesterday, uh, as, as the Senate confirmed that. And I know that it, it's, a, it's a divisive issue for our nation. I'm, I'm not going to say on one side or the other any uh, personal opinion of mine, but I just wanted to share with you that uh, as we look at things like this, we, we can... Um, allow things, whether it's other people, what we see, our opinions, our feelings, emotions, all of those things can affect us and we can let those rule our life and how we feel. And I just felt like God was saying that uh, what we need to allow to rule our life is his truth. And there is no one other than God uh, who knows the truth of the situation that, that, you know, has gone on in our country. Um, but the truth is, is that the word says that every authority has been placed uh, in their position by God. And there's a purpose for that. Purposes that we cannot fathom. And so we could have had an agenda on why we think it'll be a good thing that Justice Kavanaugh is now in the Supreme Court. We could have had our agenda why it would be a bad thing that he's on the court. But Regardless of that, God saw fit to put him in that place. And we have a president right now who God saw fit to put in that place. For whatever reason, we, you know, it, again, it's, we can allow our agendas, our thoughts, our feelings, all that to say it's wrong, it's right, whatever. But God has put all authority in their place. And it's a lot bigger than the United States of America. Every, every, uh, president that we've ever had throughout our history was put in place by God. Every authority from them on down was put in place by God. Every uh, president, emperor, uh, king, ruler, whatever you want to call it throughout history has been put in place by God for a purpose. And so it's not for us to decide whether who God chooses to put in a place is right or wrong. What we can do is we can line up with his truth which the Bible says the Holy Spirit has been sent to declare the truth of God. And so he has a plan. He has a purpose. And while our nation, you could say, is in an emotional state of turmoil and, you know, almost to a balance of 50-50 that we're just pointing our fingers across the aisle, God's not worried. He's not concerned. He's not saying, oh, no, what am I going to do? He's looking down and saying, yeah, everything's going according to plan. (laughs) The people that I needed to put in authority are in authority for whatever end result. And that's where our feelings may not line up with the end result. But God calls us to line our feelings up with his truth. And so that's that's what I just want to share with you this morning before we get into the message. And it kind of flows into the message, but that we would just allow our hearts to be in a state of peace and comfort, knowing that God's plan is in place. He, he his will is being done and he's not worried. It's going OK. And the authorities that he has put in place are in place for whatever purpose that whatever end. You know, the Old Testament said over and over, God put authorities in place of other countries to take over Israel. 
It was his plan and his will that they go through a season of judgment. You know, we'd say, well, that's not good. Well, yeah, it was good because that was what God's plan was. So we don't know what the end result is, but we can know that his plan is moving forward. And let's just pray. Uh, take a moment. I want to pray uh, for our leaders. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. First, we acknowledge that you are Lord. And you have set all these authorities in place from our judiciary to our president to every president and ruler throughout the world. Lord, and we thank you that you are the one in control, that you are Lord, that you are king, and that your plan is uh, being accomplished, not just in the United States of America, but in every nation around the world. And Lord, we pray that these leaders and these rulers and these authorities at every level that you have put in place will acknowledge that you are their God and you are their Lord and that they would come to a, a saving knowledge of you and your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, our, you can turn your Bible to John chapter 1 if you have it. In a moment, it will be up on the screen if you don't. Um, but the central theme of this morning's message is that we prepare the way and preparing the way. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of preparing the way, but a lot of different things came to my mind as I thought about it. And it, it varied by context. What does preparing the way for a guest in your home look like? You might clean the house, clean the kitchen, clean a guest bedroom. In our case, it looks like kicking one kid out of their room into their sister's room because we don't have a guest bedroom. Uh, and so, so they're rearranged and we make a space for our guests. Some people uh, would put out a guest towel, you know, the towels that look nice that nobody else gets to use. And they get to think that you have nice towels. It's like, no, ours are the towels in the room with the holes in them. You get a nice looking towel. We prepare the way for a guest. We can prepare the way uh, for a construction project. If you're going to build something of any sort, you have to prepare the place that it's going to go. It may be leveling the ground or putting a foundation. If you drive out to uh, where the water tower is, you'll see an entire complex where they're preparing the way for a new housing development. Just a couple months ago, we, we live in that area and I, I walk and run uh, by there almost daily. And so just a few months ago, all of that was woods. Filled with deer and goats and lots of trees and mesquite and cedar and everybody's favorite tree. But it, it was a wooded area and now the way is being prepared for a housing development. Now you drive by there, there's just, it's just totally cleared, it's clean, they're leveling it, they're making places for roads. The way is being prepared and then the, the last thing that I thought of was uh, how we would prepare for a parade. You know, a parade is a procession that goes through a lot of times the middle of town or the main street or busy areas. And the police will prepare for a parade. They'll set out cones and they'll block off streets and they'll line the streets with their cars and their sirens so no one can get in the way. They make a clear path so nothing will interrupt or get in the way of the procession of the parade. They've prepared the way. And this morning, the context of our preparing the way is the pre- preparing the way for the Lord. Preparing the way 
for the Lord. And I think the best example of this is found uh, in John chapter 1, which we're going to turn to in just a moment. And it's the ministry of John the Baptist. But before we get to John, I just want to note that God the Father prepared the way for Jesus Christ from the beginning of creation. The preparation started at that moment. He even told Isaiah the prophet that John the Baptist would come to prepare the way of Jesus Christ 700 years in advance. God gave Isaiah this word, and this one won't be on the screen, but it's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And I have two questions that we're going to answer this morning. The first is, how could John prepare the way for Jesus Christ? And then the second question is, how can we prepare the way for Jesus? And we're going to start off this morning with a conversation between John the Baptist and some priests and Levites in John chapter 1, verse 22. Read along with me. It says, they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now these who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not Christ, if you are not Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Verse 27, It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but then that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. He's saying I had to prepare the way. God told me to prepare the way. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And verse 32, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me, and he's talking of the father, he who sent me to baptize with father said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. So John 1 ties John the Baptist to Isaiah's uh, prophecy and he tells us that John was baptizing with water and that he declared that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and the Lord that he was preparing the way for. And I just think it's so good that God so often encourages us by showing us and telling us that what we've been doing is in line with what he called us to do. And God clearly told John in advance how he would know who Jesus Christ was. He told John, he said, you're going to see the spirit descend like a dove on a man. And the one that the spirit descends on and remains on, that's my son. 
So when, when John saw that happen to Jesus Christ, there was no question in his mind that this is Jesus Christ, the Lord that I came to prepare the way for, the Son of God. And Matthew's gospel gives us another angle that we can look at this story at and at John's ministry. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, you'll also see it on the screen. We see the message that John the Baptist is preaching. Matthew 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. We started talking out, uh, talking about preparation at the beginning of the message, and I want us to look a little bit closer at that word. To prepare, it's a word, uh, hetomizo, and it says it's to make ready, to prepare, to make necessary preparations, to get everything ready. And to me, that's the one that... Uh, says it the best, to get everything ready. Not one thing was left undone in God's preparation for Jesus Christ to come. God had been making preparations for the coming of Jesus Christ from the beginning of creation. And he gave specific details in advance to prophets throughout the generations, giving very specific details of what that would entail. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one. And his final preparation was sending John the Baptist to get everything ready, to make the final preparations. And before we look at uh, what that entailed, I also want to take a little closer look at what John, at who, I'm sorry, at who John was preparing for. Verse 3 says he was to prepare to make everything ready for the way of the Lord. So let's take a look at that word, Lord. It comes from the root word, kairios, and it means Lord, Master, He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which He has power of deciding. Master, Lord, possessor and disposer of things, the owner, one who has control of the person, the Master. You know, I think uh, in our modern times, we don't like that term. You know, we don't like the terms of servants and masters, of owners and slaves. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And many times we'll say, yes, he's, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. But when we say that, do we really think about what that means? And if we do, is it true? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is he really the master Is he really the disposer of things? Is he really the one that has control of the person? Does Jesus Christ have control over you or are you the Lord of your life? Do you decide what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it? And for many of us, then we also try to decide that for other people, too. We want to be the Lord of our life and we want to be the Lord of everybody else's life. That's really the role that is in our heart, is in the sinful heart of men and women, is that we're Lord of us and everybody else. But God says, no, I'm Lord. There's only one. There's only one king. There's only one top authority. 
as we just, you know, what we talked about and we prayed about before we started, every authority on earth has been put in place by the one true God, by the one true authority, by the one and only Lord. There's only one. And you, you may have heard people or preachers say, you know, make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. We can't make him Lord. He is Lord. We can acknowledge his lordship in our life, but he is Lord. Whether we like it or not, whether we confess it or not, whether we submit to it or not, he is Lord. He's that one authority. And right now is the time that we have the ability, the gift from God to acknowledge his lordship on our own without it being forced we're going to read a scripture in a minute that I know you all know, but that one day everyone is going to acknowledge it. The day will come, and it's as true now as it is on that day. But today, we can acknowledge it on our own. We're going to get to the Lordship of Jesus Christ much more next week, but I did want to uh, touch on that, and I want to read a few scriptures real quickly. On His Lordship, John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, we will keep his word. And other versions read that we will follow his commands. Imagine a private in the military being commanded by a general to do something and refusing to do so. But still saying he's my commander doesn't go together. He can't be your commander and you not obey his commands. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you love me, you will obey my word. You will obey my commands. And if we don't, then he's not. He is Lord, but we're not acknowledging his lordship in our life. Acts 2.36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And in this context, when it refers to Christ, it's referring to him as Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he came to save us. And he came to forgive us of all of our sins. And the only way that we can be made righteous and forgiven. But it says he is Lord and Savior. He never relinquished his lordship when he came to save. He is still Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have fellowship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. Before we go on, we're going to look at one last scripture that shows us that, yes, Jesus is Lord, but He also came and humbled Himself as a servant. Look at Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death. On the cross. 
So Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Lord and Savior, who is equal with God, came down to this earth, became a man and was holy man and humbled himself, put himself in obedience to the Father. He says, I have done nothing outside of my Father's will. I have put myself in 100% submission. Yes, I'm King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes, He's going to lift me up on the last day and give me all honor and put everything under my feet. But I'm going to humble myself as a man and put myself in submission to every single thing that He requires. Because He said, I'm going to give you an example of how to serve me as your Lord and Savior. Is He your Lord? Is He your Master? Have you relinquished that position, that place in your life of Lordship to Him to say everything in my life is going to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That is what He has called us to do and He did it Himself. Verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And that therefore is like because, because Jesus humbled himself, because he did that, God has lifted him up and honored him. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody. And it's not just us. It's not just every created man and woman throughout history. Every angelic being, Satan himself, every demon that followed him, everyone, it says, every creation in heaven, on earth, and below the earth on that day is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. With their mouth, they'll confess it, and with their knee, they'll bow. And like I said earlier, he's no less Lord today than he's going to be on that day. But today, we have the opportunity to acknowledge it and acknowledge him as Lord of our life and say, I'm going to step off my throne and I'm going to let you sit there. I'm going to do what you lead me to do, what you call me to do. We can acknowledge his lordship in our life voluntarily today. So if John was sent to prepare, to make everything ready for the way of the Lord, the next question that comes to mind was how was he going to do that? How was he going to prepare the way for the Lord? How do we prepare the way for the Lord in our life? Or if we're, if he is Lord of our life, how do we prepare the way of the Lord in someone else's life? And here's the answer. By preaching the message of repentance and then by being baptized. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word there, repent, means to change one's mind, to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins, to think differently. I've shared this example with you before. 
And I tried to think of a better one, but I couldn't. <laughs> and maybe I'm just not good with examples. But um, when you repent of something, it says to change your mind or to repent of it, a sin of a mistake with abhorrence where you're not going to do that again. And the example that I have is one of like a gas burning fire on your stove. You know, a little kid will see that. And if they don't know what that is, it looks pretty enticing. It looks interesting. And what do they want to do? What do kids want to do? They want to touch it. (laughs) They want to grab it. See what it feels like. Well, there's two ways that they're going to learn that lesson. Either the mother or father is going to tell them, don't touch that. That's hot. It's going to burn you. At that age, they may not know what hot or burn is, but they've probably heard what no is. And they've probably had a smack on the bottom or so to tell them when they when no, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. So they know, okay, for some reason, I'm not supposed to touch that. And they can either learn that lesson by that transfer of knowledge or they're going to learn it by touching it, by experience. (laughs) And I would hope that we, as we get older, we can learn less and less things by experience and more by someone else's uh, knowledge. But what happens when you touch it, and we've all um, either on purpose or on accident been burned. And once you've been burned... Do you have a desire to touch it again? Like when you're cooking dinner at night, do you, is, does it take everything in you, your whole, uh, every faculty and strength that you have to resist the desire to touch the fire? Anybody? Like, I just want to touch it so bad. It looks so cool. I just want to touch it. I just want to grab it. No. It doesn't take any self-control. None. Zero. Because you know. You know that you know that you know that's going to burn. That's going to hurt. There is nothing good for me in that fire. And when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life and the Holy Spirit comes in and He transforms you and He reveals His truth to you and your life is changed, True repentance is a changed mind and a changed heart and abhorring it where it's not enticing anymore. Sin doesn't have uh, an excitement to it. It's not anything. You just, you abhor it. I know what that does. I know it's bad. I know that that's not good for me. And that's what happens when Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. When he's the real Lord, not just the one that we say with our mouth, but we've taken him into our heart. We've stepped off the throne. We've made him the Lord of our life. And John made it clear in Matthew 3 verse 8 that our life is supposed to change. He says, therefore, this is after they've repented, after they've confessed, after they've been baptized. He says, therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. There had to be evidence of a changed mind and a changed life. They weren't going to touch the fire anymore. Fruit would come after true repentance. If your life looks the same after you have repented and made Christ the Lord of your life, then you really haven't made him Lord. Your mind hasn't changed. 
Once they heard John's message of repentance, there was a response. And what was their response to John's message? We find it in Matthew 3, verse 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him and they confessed their sins. We're going to look at these two words real quick as well. Uh, Baptized comes from the word baptizo, and it means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself or to bathe. And we should never confuse this word with another word called babto. And that uh, word is kind of like just a dipping in water or in a solution. But the clearest example that shows the difference and what that word baptize really means is actually from a pickle recipe that's uh, dated 200 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And this pickle recipe was written by a Greek poet and physician named Nicander. And he, the reason it makes it so clear is he uses both the word babto and baptizo in his recipe. So he says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, babto, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. Once you've pickled something, once you've pickled a cucumber, you can't unpickle it. You can't get the vinegar out. You can't. There, there is nothing on earth that could be done to turn a pickle back into a cucumber. It's not possible. And so what that is telling us, when they use that word in baptism for the act that we do when we come to get baptized, it says when we go under that water, we are forever permanently changed. The old life is dead and a new life has been given. We are a totally new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that we can live in that life and we can walk in that life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word confessing comes from the word exomolegeo, and it means to confess, profess, or acknowledge openly. And then the word sin that was used in that scripture comes from Hamarsha, and it's translated as sin, sinful, or offense. And it means to miss the mark or err, to be mistaken, miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law, that which is done wrong, an offense, collectively the aggregate of sins committed either by a single person or by many. So one simple way to say what sin is, is just being out of alignment with God. In that moment, he's not the Lord of your life. You've stepped back in the throne long enough to do something that was outside of his will. And John the Baptist came proclaiming the day was coming for the Lord. The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was coming. And you have to make a decision. Are you going to stay Lord of your life or are you going to accept Him as your Lord? 
In Matthew 3.11, John proclaims, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And if you read the whole story, you'll see that the next day after he said that, Jesus comes to John and is baptized. And this is where he sees the Holy Spirit descend and remain on Jesus Christ. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and nights to be tempted by the devil. But I want to propose something this morning, that John prepared the way. He made everything ready for the coming of Jesus Christ by preaching repentance and baptism. And I believe the only way that we can prepare the way for Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life or to proclaim the good news of the gospel to others for him to become the Lord of their life is through repentance and baptism. And you may say, well, that was John's message. That was before Jesus came. But look at the message that Jesus began to preach when he emerged from the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. Matthew 4:17 it says, "From that time Jesus, not John, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Jesus, not John, is preaching the exact same message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you might argue, well, that's before he goes to the cross. Well, let's look at what Jesus said after the cross and right before he ascends into heaven. Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus left with the same message that he started with. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe or to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus was saying, make sure that they know that I'm Lord. Make sure they know I'm the master. Make sure they know I'm the ruler of all things. He started out with saying all authority, every single bit of it in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, we know through his example, I submitted to authority. Now you submit to mine. If you love me, you will obey everything that I've commanded you. So then the next question is like, well, what about the disciples? Did they follow through? Did they hear what Jesus said? What message did they preach? And look at Peter's first sermon right after Pentecost. This is after the Holy Spirit has come, after the promise of the Holy Spirit, what John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus would send in Acts chapter 236, Peter's first sermon, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's the Lord of lords, King of kings, and he's your Savior. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit cut them to their heart and spoke to them and made that word alive and said, that's true. This is the truth. I'm declaring that truth to you. And they were cut to the heart 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Pickled in Jesus Christ that you'll never be the same again. You'll be totally new, totally transformed for the remission, the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the exact same message. How do you prepare the way for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You repent. You get baptized. And then just as John the Baptist proclaimed, we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who will empower us to live a new and transformed life. You won't have to struggle not to touch the fire anymore. And it's not the word, there's a there's a theological word called sanctification. It's a process. God does it over and over and over and over in different areas of our life. It's not that in one instant we're not making any mistakes or any sins, but I can look back through my life and find many different areas where at one point I struggled with something or fought something or had a, a temptation, and at some point and I tried. It was like the fire, like for whatever reason, in our insanity, we still want to touch it. And in my strength, in my willpower, in my lordship, I tried to do it on my own and I would fail and I would fail and I would fail. And then one day, in each one of those areas, Jesus would come and he would become the Lord of my life in that area. And I didn't have to try anymore. It just... It was done. And then he did it in another area, and he did it in another area. He continues to do it today, over and over and over. We are sanctified day by day by Jesus Christ in us and the power of the Holy Spirit. But it only happens if we acknowledge his lordship and make him the Lord. Not make. I still use that word's too easy to use. Acknowledge his lordship. He is Lord. He will always be Lord, whether we accept it or not. But when we acknowledge it in our life and hand the keys over to him and say, take me wherever you want to go. Then you don't have the desire to touch the fire anymore. He just takes it away. And it's not hard. It's easy. Jesus said, my burden is easy. It's light when I do it. Well, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do so this morning. Romans 10, 8 through 13 gives you a real easy example how. It says, The world is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same, who? Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life this morning. But it isn't just words. It has to be with true repentance. 
a real changed mind. And the changed mind is saying, I'm not Lord anymore. That's the changed mind. I'm not going to be Lord of my life anymore. You are. That's the only thing we need to change our mind about. If we can make him the Lord of our life, the possessor and the disposer, the decider of all things, every decision that needs to be made in my life needs to be made by Christ. And Jesus gave us the example. In his entire life, he didn't make one decision. He says, everything I have done, everything I did was in the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours. Down to the crucifixion. And he prayed, asking for a different will than the Father's. He said, Lord, let it pass. If there's any other way than going to this cross, if there's any other way than going through this process, if there's any other way, let that be done. But if not, if this is the only way, I'm going to submit my life to your will. And there wasn't another way. And he submitted. And that's why, and it says the Father, because of that, he lifted him above every name and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and below the earth that he alone is Lord. And we can acknowledge that on our own today. And he'll change our lives Like I said, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never confessed him as Lord, you can do that this morning. Next week, we're also going to have, uh, we've already got three baptisms scheduled. Um, if you've never been baptized, let us know or write on one of the cards or you can pray with one of the prayer teams and let them know and you can be baptized uh, next Sunday and be totally transformed into what God called you to be. And the last response would be, if you've made... Christ, Lord of your life, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, but you can look in your life and you can see that there's places, there's areas where you've stepped back on the throne, you've sat back in the seat and you say, no, I'm, I'm going to take care of this part. You can again this morning confess and say, Lord, I'm going to submit every area. Jesus said you can submit every, every thought, make every thought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything can be submitted to Him. So any thought, any area that you have, that you know, I've taken back control. This morning you can say, Lord, I give it back. I don't want to be Lord of any area of my life. You can do that this morning in your own, praying uh, in your own to Him, or if you want to come, pray with one of our uh, prayer team members. Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You, we thank You, we thank You. And we give you all glory, all honor, all praise, because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every work that needed to be done, you did. Father, everything that needed to be prepared before your Son came, you made the preparations. And everything was made perfect for him to come. And he did everything you sent him to do. And we thank you for that. We glorify you for that. We give you praise for that. And this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
He is declaring the truth this morning. The truth is being declared. But I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our souls to receive that truth, to hear that truth, and to respond. And to acknowledge that you are Lord of our life. That we would, might know you, that we would hear you, and that we would respond in every way that you lead because you alone are God and you alone are Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.